0: Arguably, I would say such a bad global event that has actually probably done more for the future of work than any transformation could have done. I've been to organizations where management teams will make calls to say this team's velocity is 40, but this team's velocity to do something completely unrelated yeah. is 12.
1: I've been there. We yeah. need to
0: fire them. Or it will it will take them years to achieve what they're trying to achieve.
1: Hi, I'm Steve. I'm the digital director at Spectrum Group. Our mission in life is to unlock the potential of your people. And we do that by combining three things, hardware, software, and expertise. Welcome to the podcast. As usual, I'm joined by Neil. I'm also joined by a very, very special guest, Martin Kupland, who's the head of DevOps at Transparity. We talked to Martin about all things technology and business. We talked about what it means to be a Microsoft MVP, or most valuable professional. We talked at length around Agile and DevOps and why, if you're not taking those on board, then essentially you're definitely going to get left behind when it comes to software development. We also talked about the future of white collar workers and how technology like AI is going to change that world completely over the next few years. I hope you enjoy the content that we're putting out. We're essentially dipping our toe in lots of different subjects around business automation and technology. If you do enjoy what we're doing, then please like, subscribe, share our content. And with all that said, welcome to Tomorrow's Workplace today. Thank you for, for joining us. Um, so, so Martin Coupland, Head of yeah. DevOps at Transparency, do you want to just give us a bit of a... I guess, background on yourself, what you've been up to and what, what you're currently
0: doing in your career. Yeah, sure, yeah. So, uh, like you say, currently the, the head of DevOps at Um, We're an MSP, basically, um, quite quite a lot in the modern work and the Azure side, um, like most other companies, trying to get into data and such like as well. Um, but, yeah, my responsibility there is basically leading the team that, Uh, trying to make Azure a bigger part of what we do as a business um, because it's still quite new to us as a business really and secondly it's building our cloud management platform so everyone that comes on our managed service gets access to that you know usual kind of stuff cost insights we've got some sustainability stuff in there now that's becoming a much bigger thing yeah Uh, trying to understand your carbon footprint of the cloud all those kinds of things and um yeah just try, generally trying to take the burden off support teams as well and give the customer more control okay um, you know one of the things that we always like to say or i always like to say is it's around delivering on the promise of cloud right when we talk about cloud we think about agility being able to build things get rid of them really really quickly but Sadly, most MSPs take that away from you when you sign up to, with an MSP mm. and it takes three weeks to get your yeah, yeah. service built. So what we we're going to try and do is take that away and give it back to the customer to do so that they can still have their um, systems and their platforms managed in a proper way. But the way they deliver them themselves and execute them is via a unified platform portal to, to make it easier
1: so they kind of self-service that more than sticking yeah. a ticket in and yeah. waiting a few days and yeah okay. and you know
0: we, we, we want to keep giving them the ability to say you know this is your platform yeah. we're the custodians of it for you and we'll help you make sure it doesn't go down it's you know it's secure it's available and it's performant but um we don't want to take away that ability for you to innovate as an organization because yeah Let's face it the number of services that are available in actually there's no msp in the world so that can say that they have expertise in everything to be able to help that customer efficiently mm. so if that customer has skills within that area that they're looking to deploy in we, we can't take that away from them so that's one of the ideas behind the platform really is to give people the ability to still innovate but make sure that it's done in a way that doesn't break their security policies yeah. and their governance levels, all of those kind of things, because that's really easy to do in the cloud. Yeah.
1: And and we were talking before, and you were saying you are, you're an M, um, MVP yeah. for, for Microsoft. So for yeah. watchers, listeners, what does that mean?
0: Yeah, so Microsoft MVP, most valuable professional. Yeah. Um, I've, I've heard it called many other things as well, <laughs> uh, depending on the individual. But uh, basically, that's a recognition from Microsoft of the community work that you do. So that's speaking at events, conferences, user groups podcasts Blog posts, podcasts yeah obviously podcasts mm. um um you know some mvps do uh vlogs all kinds of stuff really you know all, basically content creation you know let's put it under that banner and um you go through a nomination process so uh, a microsoft employee nominates you um and you go through the process and if you're screened to be, I guess, a worthy candidate, then you get your MVP award and it's renewed annually. So you have to keep up what you're doing. Mm-hmm. It's not a one-time thing. Um, but it gets you good access to the product groups that build the stuff that we consume in the Azure Cloud day-to-day um, or whatever award category it might be. So there's award categories in things like Windows and devices, Office um, Office 365. Game development as a category for Xbox game development, all wow, kinds okay. of stuff. And you're the uh, Azure, yeah. So mine's the Azure category. Um, so again, yeah, there's a whole bun- whole bunch of us in the Azure category globally, and obviously, less as you get closer to your own country. I want to talk a little bit about DevOps because DevOps yeah. is a phrase
1: that you hear around. I'm sure people not involved in IT probably have maybe never heard of it. Certainly don't know what it means. There's yeah. plenty of people in IT that probably have heard a yes, know what it means. So, yeah. um, can you just give us a bit of an explanation as to what DevOps is and what it means to organizations?
0: Yeah, so I, I guess that's probably one of the most difficult questions, right? Because it means something different to every organization. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the mistake that people make, I guess, firstly, and most importantly, is thinking that, you can take DevOps as a thing off a shelf and plug it into your organization. It's not like that. I always try and explain to people, um, it's a bit like ITIL, it's a framework. It's yeah. thing. you know, you adapt it to your organization, and that's when you get the most out of it. Um, you know, pe- people, especially C level as well. I think hear the word DevOps and hear people start talking about software engineering, where it has its roots and think, or You know, I'm turning off now I'm done, but actually if you start changing that conversation to be, I can implement this set of practices and principles within DevOps or this thing we call DevOps and it will help us help the business achieve its goals. And move the business forward. So then, all of a sudden, you start to have the C suites ears, and realize when they start to dive into it, just what it can do and what it can help them with. And that that alone is a powerful thing. But fundamentally, DevOps is around collaboration. So it's, it, there's four key pillars uh, I was thinking to DevOps. Mostly, people will talk about um, people, process, and technology. Um, I actually like to throw culture in there as well, because I think that is the most important part of DevOps. Um, and in fact, where I've done implementations with customers or places I've worked before, you will always find that when you put technology in first, it's it's not likely to deliver the results that you want it to. Yeah. Uh, and I always think personally that if you start with a getting the culture right in your organization. Which is another thing, you know, what do we mean by culture in mm. DevOps, right? We we mean the ability to have people work together, um, collaboratively and in an open way. You know, it's a it's a thing called we call growth mindset. Um, being able to make mistakes and learn from those mistakes and see them as a learning and growth opportunity rather than some organizations you make a mistake, you're worried about whether you're gonna be going into the office on Monday or not. Mm. You know, it's a complete change of mindset. Um so I think if you start with culture and you get that right, that then drives the people within your organisation. And sadly, because it's such a, a difference to how people have worked for so long, there will be some people who don't want to come on that journey with you and will leave the organisation. But you, you know what, that's fine, because that brings in opportunity to bring in other people or promote others that are showing the right characteristics that you need to, mm. to make a good job of implementing this in your organisation. And then once you have the right people and they have the right mindset and the culture, you can start looking at your processes, you know, but fundamentally devops is about process, mm-hmm. right? People, technologists especially might not like to, to hear that, but that's fundamentally what it is. Yeah. Right. And if, and if you put technology on top of poor processes, you're basically making bad things happen twice as quickly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whereas we, if we you, a spend, line. Yeah. yeah, if you spend that time going through, it, you know, we, we talk about things called Lean and Kaizen and all yeah, these yeah. process improvement things. If you do those first mm. and get your processes in a good place, then if you put the technology on top, you're making Lean good processes happen quicker and that's the that's the right approach to it. Yeah, You know, it is rooted within software engineering and technology, but there's actually a huge amount of application that you can do outside of technology teams as well. And I think the pandemic has... Like a lot of things, it's accelerated. This is another area I think that people are now starting to talk about is that link between organizations that have adopted this agile and, and DevOps methodology within their organizations are, are performing much better. There's some research that's starting to be pulled together or looking at organizations that were clusters in a mature space in DevOps before the pandemic and how they've done against their competitors in the pandemic and in a lot of cases it's coming out that the competitor that wasn't looking at agility within their business they're not there anymore mm. <laughs> or they're in a really bad place um, but if you look at the things that it teaches you here yeah, we talk about continuous everything in DevOps. don't we that mindset meant that when this massive global event happened where you weren't allowed to leave your house effectively other than to going you garden for i'll go for a walk once a mm-hmm. day that changed business forever i think and the organizations that had already gone through that transformation were, were much better equipped to react to that and change the way they worked they they already had remote teams they already had the tools in place, they already had processes for this kind of thing. So they they've they they carried on growing and continue to grow. Mm-hmm. Whereas some of the larger monolithic organizations have really struggled and continue to struggle today. You know, we're coming out the the back of it now, hopefully, but they still continue to struggle. And and that's that's something that I think is going to become really evident once you start scratching under the surface is that when you start analysing these organisations in more detail, they'll have gone through the things that we were just talking about to mm. make them a, a more mature organisation and, and a more agile place to work.
1: So, so you think organisations that had ad- adopted DevOps, they were used to that kind of remote mm-hmm. working, they were used to people doing stand-ups every morning from all parts of the world, yeah. and so it wasn't such a shock when everybody had no choice other than to kind of work in that way?
0: Yeah. I mean, if you think at some of the <laughs> some of the larger organizations their their engineering teams are based all over the world and mm. have been for years yeah. and they're used to working in that way so all of a sudden when someone's told actually you can't do you stand up in the office you have to do it at home mm. okay it's the <laughs> no big difference what we've been doing for a long time yeah, yeah. yeah we've been doing that for a long time we already have those tools in place we already have the processes to support that so you know actually you know I, I've worked at home since 2012 when I first went into consultancy so Yes, I wasn't travelling anymore, and I've since taken that role in 2012. I've always travelled for work, Mm. so it was a bit of a struggle to all of a sudden not be travelling for work and being at home 24-7. But I was already used to the things you go for working at home. You know, everyone talks about the struggle of working at home because you want to go do other things and get distracted by this. I'd already done that a few years ago, as yeah. of many other people. Mm. So there was a you know there was a large minority I would say that were used to working at home that were like, yeah, it's just another day. Mm. And and those organisations carried on as they were because people are used to it.
2: I saw that from a sales side. There was there was um yeah, some of the bigger like canon or others that I speak to that have come from a BN. A bigger corporate company and you're right they have regional salesmen and, and that's yep. thing, and they were just used they had they already set up and then i do yeah remember there was a big difference between some of my customers that already had our solutions in place literally just took picked up the laptop hmm. went um logged on yep. carried on and it was it was that minimal downtime and then the, the irony was the ones that were talking to us yeah, that were on the fence, maybe. Yeah, very quickly they were like, "Yeah, we need something. <laughs> we need to
0: sort yeah, out we, very quickly." Uh, we had the same at transparency, right? Being in modern work is we had a whole bunch of people come to us, go, "We're not set up for this, mm. you know." And if we do, and if they don't do it and do it quickly, mm. ultimately they were going to go out of business. Um, I, I remember seeing some stuff on LinkedIn of uh, quite a while ago now about um the pandemic being responsible for faster digital transformation than anything else yeah and uh, and we saw that in our customers i'm sure you guys have as yeah. well where they've basically done a one two year program in two months oh yeah because we had to you know arguably i would say such a bad global event that has actually probably done more for the future of work than any transformation could have done yeah
1: It's pushed industry forward Probably four quickly. or five years actually in the space yeah. of absolutely two years yeah if not more so um i want to understand a bit more obviously devops and agile that like like kind of as you said started with software yeah but have you seen that i guess dissipate out into other functions other departments have they adopted those similar practices yeah
0: i mean agile especially right Ag- agile is part of devops it's not devops Mm. and a lot of people will say that you can't do agile without devops you absolutely can right agile is a project management Mm. practice fundamentally so you can do it and it's a way of working right Mm. this is what we're talking this is what it fundamentally is it's a way of working and and, you know if we try and take out all of the technical terms that come with devops and i think that's one of the big problems is Mm. people don't try and do it outside Of software engineering because they think it's rooted in software engineering. Yes, it has its histories Mm. in software engineering. But I've you know, when I was working for an airline just before the pandemic, which is (laughs) uh yeah, with bad, bad timing. (laughs) Um but interesting all the same, they've gone through that agile journey and they really struggled as an airline and they're out the back of it now and doing much better, but Compared to some other airlines, they did much better than others did. Mm. You know, I understand they were quite close to um, folding at, at one point during that, but they come out the back of it. And I, and I do truly believe that a lot of the exercises that we were doing with all of the different teams internally to adopt Agile was, was really fundamental to how they were able to pivot so quickly in the face of, you know, a, a huge adversity. Hmm. I'd struggle to think of another industry that was affected so badly by the pandemic than aviation. The really ground to hold, didn't it? How, yeah. did, how did you find
2: the the adoption in terms of the use? Because again, I know when Steve brought it in, for me, it just made sense. <laughs> it was one yeah. of those, it was like, oh, ah, well, yeah. Mm. If you follow those steps, why
0: wouldn't you do that? It was. How did you find the
2: adoption from once you introduced it and went so through
0: it? It's funny. I actually find non technical people get it. Better than technical people. Really? Why why is that? I I think a lot of what you, you just sticking the nail on the head there. I think a lot of what you're taught in Agile is just common sense <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in a lot of ways. You know, the I don't mean this in any disrespectful way, but the teams I've always struggled the most with to adopt Agile are operational teams that are so used to that idle way of mm. working. And you have to figure out a way to have those teams understand that what they've done for the past so many years isn't wrong. Mm. This isn't a better way of working you know that's a really bad way to describe it to people. But these are the benefits of working this way. This is why this model is better now than what we're trying to do through ITL. Mm. And if you can get that messaging right with operational teams, I think you can hit the nail on the head. But you know, to give you an example When I was working with the airline, I I was like, right, I'm going to go. I said to my boss, I'm going to go talk about this to some of the teams outside of IT. And he understood. He was like, okay, great. You know, any contacts you need, just let me know. And off went. So I went to procurement, Mm. went to finance, and went to the cargo operations team and talked to them about Agile. And Cargo folks got it. Right. That's a really tightly knit process-driven mm. environment where they already did a lot of what we were talking about without realizing it, especially continuous improvement. Mm. Yeah. I, one of the things they did with continuous improvement there that I really liked is um, they had a target with Donata, who did their ground handling for them mm-hmm. and cargo handling. And um one of the things that they did. Was got them to send the trucks of cargo to the plane, um, what they call in trim. So what happens is the the truck turns up and the pallets come off and go on in order, and then drive off. Mm. Whereas what a lot of other airlines do is bring them on, and the forklift picks one up at a time, goes and gets another one, goes and gets another one, and puts them in the right order. Whereas what they did with them was obviously they need to be in a certain place. All of the pallets have to be in a certain place for weight and balance of so the mm. plane and center of gravity. So they arrive in trim so they can just roll off onto the plane. Lean. Lean. Uh, Lean, exactly in action. And what they were able to do with that, and I I remember being studs on the apron at Heathrow one day watching them do this to kind of help them with some ideas and stuff. And we were writing some software for them to to digitise a lot of their workflow effectively Mm -hmm. it was all on a piece of paper with checklists Mm -hmm. and it's like no 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 (laughs) (laughs) so so we did some trials of some stuff i wrote some stuff did some trials to go look at that and we stood on the apron and i saw this plane come in half an hour late it was due to leave in an hour and they unloaded everything, all of the passengers, baggage, cargo, reloaded it all and refuelled it within an hour, ready to turn it around and send it back out again. Mm, amazing. Um, and a full plane of passengers, cargo, fuel. So, so it can be done. <laughs> it can be done. <laughs> yeah. can be done. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I remember yeah. that on Monday yeah. when I'm sat in the airport waiting for my <laughs> yeah. flight. Yeah.
1: Martin said.
2: Martin said. Just
0: give, give him a shout down
1: and go, you should do that in trim next time. <laughs> um, I'm I'm interested in the other departments piece. So, mm-hmm. so your other procurement, finance, are there, are there any other examples that you've got of other departments outside of IT adopting lean, agile, DevOps practices?
0: Yeah, HR is another good one as well. Yeah. Um, and and HR is actually quite a simple one to do because if you think about the things that you can speed up and make leaner in in hr it's it's onboarding typically mm. so wherever you can identify so we do we do an exercise called value stream mapping to so mm. first of all to go look at the process as is today and you identify the lead time of data and prerequisites for a step of the process and then the cycle time of how long it takes to do that and you map it out in a diagram So what you've got at the end is not just a normal process diagram, but you've also got a really good view as to how long each individual part takes and what it's waiting for. Why that approach works really well for any process in any organisation, regardless of what part of the organisation you're in, is it gives you data to then make smart decisions about what you improve in the process. Because without that, you are basically taking a punt to say, if we automate this part of the process Mm -hmm. or if we take this part of the process out it will speed it up whereas actually when you have your value stream map you can say look this process takes an hour to run but we're waiting for this data for 40 minutes here so Mm -hmm. if we can speed up that data arriving at that step of the process we can save x number of minutes Mm -hmm. and make it happen quicker and once you have that you know i'm a a big believer in that good data enables good decisions mm-hmm. and when it comes to process improvement it is value stream mapping that helps you do that um and then you can use the principles that you would learn within lean or kaizen or 5 Wise, is a good one mm-hmm. that people use although 5 Wise is you know somewhat disputed sometimes as to its true value but it does work in some situations my kid uses it a lot and uh, it works <laughs> quite well <Yeah. laughs> he keeps yeah. asking yeah. why yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: this is Matt. Matt is a finance director and this is Matt's team. Day after day they trudge through endless stacks of paperwork like mindless zombies. But luckily for Matt and his team, things are about to get a lot better since Spectro has digitized their documents. There's no need for physical copies and duplicates to clutter up the office. And with a fleet of Spectrobots to take care of the mundane, Matt's team have changed the game. Don't waste the potential they've got. Get them a robot with Spectrum. Tomorrow's Workplace Today. What kind of got you into this world of DevOps. So it's by accident, to be honest. So, back when I was consulting, obviously Monday to Friday, you're out wherever you are, coming back on a Friday, at home Saturday. If you're far enough away, you go in Sunday afternoon or Mm. Monday morning. And um, funny, you mentioned kids, kids were on the way, first child was on the way. And, uh, you know, credit to my boss at the time, he kind of pulled me to one side and said, look, we don't want you to feel like the pressure of having family would mean that you need to leave the job that you're doing to spend more time with them. So would it help if you moved into a more managerial position and start looking at some of these things? And these things were basically how we could support our managed service operation in a more efficient way. Mm. And that's when I started to learn about things like the Phoenix project mm. Um I saw a talk from the guys at Flickr in 2009 that was on YouTube about how they did multiple deployments a day to Flickr oh. and it kind of blew my mind mm. at the time. Um, and they'd done this talk in 2009 at a conference and then you know you kind of pick it up from there, Patrick Dubois started uh, DevOps days, the conferences that, that happened and they've kind of grown and accelerated and that's where it really started to be honest. And it's when you start looking into it, you think actually we need to try this DevOps thing, mm. yeah. <laughs> and and that's where it really started. And, and one of the things I actually really love about DevOps, so yes, the technology side of it is great, and that's one thing. But the bit that really gets me passionate and fired up about DevOps is actually the softer side of it. Mm. It's the it's the cultural implementation, the process improvement part, and how it can all start sitting together and how you get to the point where you can visualise where you were and and where you now got to by some very simple metrics. Mm. And then at a team level, you can adopt the metrics that matter to you. Mm. And I would always say that you shouldn't stick with the same metric. If If you do a maturity assessment as a team, which I would highly recommend teams do, figure out where you are and what you're not so good at, then you can work on them in the next quarter or whatever period it is. And you can set metrics that measure the things you want to improve on. You're still keeping your high-level KPIs. Mm-hmm. But what you're actually doing is then um, improving different parts all, all the way without letting slip in other areas that you've become mature in. And and I guess that's the hardest balance, which is one of the things that I really like about it, is being able to go through those exercises with... Customers or different teams or talk to people at conferences and user groups about it and say, you know, all these people always talk about all the things they're struggling with when it comes to DevOps because it is hard Mm. and I think it's hard because it takes so long. you can't you can't do it overnight Mm. you can't do it over the course of a week or a few months it can take years yeah especially when you talk
2: about culture it's like that's it yeah
0: yeah a bit of a yeah massive shift yeah exactly you
1: you mentioned three important kpis in terms of lead time cycle time velocity can you for those listeners watchers that are familiar with it again just explain each one of those and what they mean
0: yeah so so velocity is probably the easiest one to to explain um in fact no, none of them are complex in, in in many ways but velocity is all around measuring the work that you've committed to doing versus what you actually completed and it's very much a team metric so I've been to organizations where management teams will make calls to say this team's velocity is 40 but this team's velocity that does something completely unrelated yeah. is 12. Up in there, we yeah. need to fire them. <laughs> yeah,
1: really.
0: Yeah. yeah, it can get as extreme as we need to fire him. Well, but yeah. you know, let's hope it doesn't. But if you don't know that can happen, the the velocity metric is important to understand at a management level because actually, when you start falling behind what you've committed to, it even means you're not planning your work very well and you're not estimating it very well, or you need to add headcount mm. or both because you're under then much more pressure to perform that you are trying to do too much you're trying to fit too much work into your iterations or your your sprints of you know time boxed effort um so velocity is important from a an overall level but it should be interpreted at a team level like only only this team can compare this team's velocity this team compares their velocity to their team on like no one else because twelve points to one team will mean 50 completely to different to another yeah. team. Yeah, so and, and and just to explain points as well, I think because that's important as well because this is a concept I find people really struggle with. Yeah, you know it doesn't actually mean anything. You know, a, a point can be anything. I, I I know teams that use story points as we call them to estimate how much a piece of work is going to take as hours. So if they say something's gonna take 12 points, that thinks that they mean it's gonna take 12 hours. Right. And if that's what they want to do, great. Right. Uh my team and transparity, we use the Fibonacci sequence. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, some people say, Why why use a math thing for and it's like, well, when you're looking at estimating between one and thirty-two, right, what is the actual difference between five and six? Mm. Whereas if you use a sequence of numbers, you know you go from uh, i think you go from five to eight in the Fibonacci sequence so there's a real discernible difference in effort between five and eight okay. whereas there's not between five and six mm. and you end up with arguments as a team i've seen it before where someone's like oh i think it's six points and someone else i, I think it's five points it's like mm. doesn't matter <laughs> really yeah, yeah, what's the yeah, difference yeah, yeah. so you know you, you make it whatever you want to make it as a team i guess is the key thing for, for story points and um cycle time so cycle time and lead time so cycle time is a measure of how long it takes you to start a task to finish a task so it's that duration in between so if you think of a backlog that we work with an actual list of work if you're on a kanban board for instance you move your card from the left hand side to active it's the time measured from when it's active to whatever your definition of done is Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's another important point. I know some organisations would say it's the time between active and closed, but closed is not done. <laughs> like Closed is the developer's view of mm-hmm. I finished this work. The definition of done is something a bit more informal in a lot of ways, but it's for your business analysts and your product managers to be able to look at it and say, does it do these things that we've listed out in our definition of done? It's not just about acceptance criteria, definition of done has to include release to production. Mm. I know so many organizations that say this work item is done. So I go, what, what environments are sat in pre-production? Okay. So it's not done. It needs to be when you've released it to production, because that's only when you can ascertain if it's triggered any bugs. Mm. um, If it's caused an impact on anything else, which is where you find out whether your regression testing is working well or not. Mm. Um, and then lead time is is very similar measure, but it's when it entered your backlog to when you've completed that piece of work. So it measures the time fundamentally, how long it takes us to envision that work to deliver it.
1: It's the Alton Towers queueing thing, from the point that it joins the queue to get to the yeah. end of the ride, isn't it? Yeah. So Okay, brilliant. So this, for some listeners that are not familiar with DevOps and Agile, this will all be you can tell i completely new information this is the I've ever been on a podcast <laughs> is, yeah. I'm sat
2: going am <laughs> I in the right room I'm actually, I'm actually worried did. about him but no um,
1: <laughs> I guess why should why should the owner of an SME or a IT manager or a finance manager of, an, of a medium sized organisation <laughs> me. why should they care about DevOps and that
0: yeah so that, that that's a kind of million dollar question uh, and I got some things written down on notes actually but this is, this is where you can start to explain this using non-technical terms that mm. directly start to impact the business. And when you talk about them, it's a no-brainer. So like, I've written things down like faster and better product delivery, mm. um, faster issue resolution, reduced complexity, better scalability, um, better automation, better resource utilization, greater innovation, uh, visibility into outcomes you know all those kinds of things they're not technical things but by implementing devops and agile those are the things you get those are the things that they directly solve mm. you know their problems with businesses you, you know kind of hear it all the time <coughs> especially with software companies you know and if you're if you're an organization that's businesses to build software then if you're not doing this kind of stuff, then I would go as far as go out there and say that you won't be in business for very long mm. because your competitors are doing it. Mm. How how much is that the case? So
1: is it is it the top 10% of the software development market are working in this way, or is it 80%? Or I know it's made up numbers, but <coughs> where do you think the market's at?
0: So I think it depends based on the size of the organisation. Okay. and The reason I say that is... If you are a startup, for, for argument's sake, so say, mm. you're a, say you're a Snapchat a few years ago, mm. right, where this kind of stuff already exists, we know about DevOps, we know about Agile, we know the impact it can have. If you're building it from scratch, you can do it from the outset and build. Yeah, start as you mean to go yes, on. Yeah, start you mean to go
2: on. good practice early doors.
0: Whereas if you're a <clears throat> uh, you know, Capita, capita I, one of Deloitte, you know, one of the big four, all of those historical processes, people involved. Mm. There will be pockets of Agile and DevOps at those organizations, but there won't be widespread adoption, um, at least not to the level that you would envisage, because it will take a long time. Mm. Uh, Some of those organizations will be on a transformation journey towards Agile and DevOps, but I can guarantee one of the, Big four, it will it will take them years to achieve what they're trying to achieve. And and they'll know that and they'll have planned for that, but we don't see it from the outside because it's all internal at the minute. And smaller organizations, you know, we're we're kind of the, the same. Transparency you guys are as well. Yes, we didn't start out like that, but we're small enough to be able to adapt very quickly mm-hmm. yeah, in terms the way we're yeah. um, with the right
1: people. But why, why are the big consultancy, big SIs, not as mature as they sh- I would say they should be in this? Because they've got the resource, they've got <coughs> the knowledge, surely. Yeah. Uh, what's really holding them back? <coughs> not as though this is a new concept, it's been around for 20-odd years now.
0: Yeah, I, I honestly, I think to start with, because not many people were doing it, mm. they didn't need to. I think you're getting to the point now where smaller service providers and smaller consultancy firms are taking the work of huge enterprises from those organizations because they can't demonstrate agility so they've been forced to do it now Hmm. i think they've not done it before because they didn't feel they had to some of them Uh, especially more widely you know individual teams will do this kind of stuff as i say but more widely i don't think there's that wide adoption. and i would say the other side of it is as well that there is so much red tape in some of their processes that it almost requires a redesign from the ground up Mm. you know i think everyone knows what the problem with that process is but can you actually change it no because it involves so many parts of the business yeah and that's where it becomes a problem because you're a small organization and your hr team is three people yeah and you want to improve your onboarding process which involves finance and payroll hr <clears throat> IT as well, to provision accounts and stuff. If you're a small organisation, that process is quite easy to automate parts of and analyse and understand in a lot of detail. Mm. But if you're a massive organisation like your HR department's 500 people mm. and your finance team is another 200 people, all of a sudden, you need to have the people in those teams want the will to change the process. And I think that is from a people perspective, or those organisations is what it comes down to. It's having the will to want to gain. It's I see, I see that in,
2: in, yeah, normal SMEs. Again, you'll get, and, and even still some of the big manufacturers, you can put, again, a team of people and if you miss one specific person out of that process and don't include them i've got one customer one person just refuses to use the technology everybody else is using yeah. it
0: it's working fine and he's like no no i like to do it my way because that's yeah. the way i've done that's it I've always done it. Yeah. and it's like wow okay we, we call <coughs> we, we sometimes call that public sector mentality yeah. yeah a little bit where and again this isn't a this isn't a dig it people yeah. in there work in public sector but sometimes you and i've experienced this where few years ago consulting i needed to to do some work and they're like yeah you need to raise a change request it's like oh great okay how do i do it or do do you just need me to tell you what to fill in like yeah we can do that great when will it get approved why won't get approved till next friday now because bob only works on a thursday friday
2: Hmm.
0: (laughs) it's like oh right okay but why do you do it that way well it's just the way we've always done it yeah was the answer i got
1: again Um, it's big big organisations, I guess, and which public sector is
0: and which it yeah. just takes longer to change. Well, and this is the thing. I think I think the larger the organisation gets, the more the individual thinks they know there's a problem, but they don't have the power to fix it. Mm. So yeah. they don't.
1: How, how do you handle the conversation with clients? Because I think my observation would be clients a lot of the time think they want a kind of fixed scope for a fixed price for a fixed timeline. They want to know you yep. want to know everything up front. In reality they probably don't because they yeah, don't know yeah. everything up front. But how if this is a new contact to clients, how do you handle that?
0: So so I think that the most important thing is up front to talk about what they're trying to achieve. Mm. So if if we're doing like a system design or you're architecting new software or a new platform, you would go through a requirements gathering process and as part of that you would ask them what you know what is the goal of what you're trying to achieve Mm. and i do the same with devops as well so the first conversation i would have with any customer or even someone at a user group or whatever a conference to come up and say i want my organization to adopt devops we need to do it now it's like well why are you doing it what do you want to achieve Mm. right and the things that you want to be hearing in that situation is that technology needs to help the business more, right? Technology is always seen as a cost prohibitor to businesses mm-hmm. less or now because of some of the stuff that we're talking about today. But I think being able to articulate that by doing this stuff, we can help the business achieve these KPIs or we can help the business do that. And it's around talking, talking to the business, in, in a more mature way i think so it's it's a it's a slight tangent but that kind of thing came to me the other day even like more so um it's, it's like the generation that are growing up so like our kids that are growing up now my son ten, do the tv on in the playroom and yeah. when you turn it on it boots up and then it connects to the internet mm-hmm. and then you can do what you want he turns it on and he's pressing the Netflix button. and It's not working. I'm like, you need to give it a minute to wait. I'm like, but I don't want to. Yes, yeah. <clears throat>
2: they expect things that are now. You're right, and that,
0: that's that's the problem we have when we build all of this stuff. And we can only address that problem by being able to pivot what we're working on really quickly. You know, I, one of the things that I really like about the the team I've got is we we have that mentality that we could work for two weeks on something and shelve it because it's actually just not right. Mm. You've lost two weeks, not two years. Yeah, you've lost two weeks, not two years. Mm. And we've not found out once we've released it and everything else is broken Mm. and we've lost customers because of it. We've found out when we've put it into our development environment that actually it don't really sit well, don't really do what we envisage it to do. You know, let's cut our losses. Mm. Uh, Yes, it's still two weeks that you've lost, but thinking of it from a growth mindset perspective we did this with something we were working on a while ago we we're looking at automating some cloud migration steps and once you start getting into the details it was just like this is actually too complex there's too many variables mm. you know we're, we're asking for trouble if we carry on with it really so yes we lost a couple of weeks of work without in fact three weeks of work that. but we learned an awful lot about how some of those things worked that we could give to the rest of the business that does migrations, and the tooling that was involved. So yes, it doesn't directly impact us, but you need to think about the bigger picture in this kind of stuff and think about the rest of the business. And um, we help the business with a load of understanding as to how some of this stuff worked. Yes, we couldn't do it the way we wanted, but we learned an awful lot of stuff because of it.
1: And that's the culture
0: piece <laughs> and that's the culture that bit. rather than perceived as successful as opposed to yeah, like, you know, yes we marked that as a failed piece of work technically because it was, we didn't deliver it, but we still saw it as success because of the result that we got out of it and what it meant for the business and what we learned. Plus we've learned now that unless there's a fundamental change to that product in the future that we were trying to interact with, there's no point in us ever revisiting it because Mm. we know we can't do it. So, those kind of things really help with stuff like that. And it's those kind of decisions that can help you figure out those kinds of things. And instead, what you could get is, uh, you know, you either ship that mm. two years later and no one knows what the code's for or no one knows what the part of the product does anymore because the people have left. Um, no one's tested it with everything else. No one's tested it with stuff that you wrote a year after. You know, all of those challenges come in. So this is, this is another reason why all of the things that we do in DevOps um, help with those kind of solutions. And it's not just, we've talked a lot about software engineering, but we've also talked a lot about other parts of the business. These things that we do, you know, continuous testing, continuous mm. monitoring, mm. Um, feedback, all these kinds of things, um, continuous integration where we build and then delivery where we go and ship stuff out. Um, all of those things do apply in other parts of business you just need to take a step back and not think of them from a technology perspective you know continuous monitoring in a sales organization is looking to see how much your sales team is selling and how they're performing you know whereas in a technology team that's looking at physical metrics on a Piece of equipment and how it's performing. Mm. It's no different. It's just applied differently.
2: Yeah, straight away. Like you can, yeah, who's selling what, where and when. And then it's to what marketplace, what volume yeah. and, and what trends have we got in there. And then again, do we need to invest more specialists <laughs> in this area or is that a shrinking marketplace? Do we need to pivot? And
0: you're right. Exactly. It's the same way, you know, same with continuous delivery, right? In continuous delivery, we talk about in software engineering, we mean the automation is responsible for taking our product and putting it all the way to our production environment. Mm. Whereas continuous delivery in a manufacturing world is it going from the start of the production line to the end. A lot of this stuff actually started with Toyota. Okay. It's the Toyota production system, TPS. Is, that's where Kaizen comes from and lean. Yep. You know, Kaizen specifically comes from the Toyota production system mm-hmm. but if you think of manufacturing specifically and some of the things we've talked about about better product delivery, time to market in manufacturing, those are really critical mm-hmm. yeah. um, I don't know how accurate it was but I remember reading an article a while ago that talked about the impact of Toyota's production system on car manufacturing. Mm. And it actually said that since this started that system, they were doing free cars to every one of every other manufacturer in the world. So by the time every other manufacturer had built one car <laughs> between them, Toyota had built three. Yeah. Um, and that if Toyota, and this this was in like the early mid-90s, and if Toyota stopped building cars in 2000, every other manufacturer would still be catching up today with the number that they've built. Wow. Because they adopted it all a lot, a lot later. And they've now done like their own implementations of this and there's a lot more robots involved with stuff. But Toyota would have a trailblazers for a lot of that stuff very much before its time. And we do all Agile and a lot of the stuff we do in DevOps too manufacturing actually Mm. so yes it is rooted in software engineering but the practice itself is rooted in the manufacturing industry
2: yeah i've got quite a few manufacturing customers and i do find it fascinating when you walk around the shop floor and they're explaining it and (laughs) yeah and it's it's phenomenal i've got one uh customer in in mansfield and and literally japanese owned (laughs) and this massive massive ball of yarn goes in one end and it's, they've got it as, like, a straight through all the way through. Yeah. And then the other end, you've got all your garments. And it's like, wow, okay. And it's continuous all the way straight through. And then I've got it's others really nice. that, that uh, yeah, whether it be boilers, whether it be plastic bottle tops and things like that. And you, they're literally manufacturing these. And yeah. they do it at such volume. They're doing, like, 500 million a month or something. And, <laughs> they, they yeah, the, the way that they're tweaking it. And they they actually, to increase, they've only got a certain amount of square footage. And the way that the guys are thinking about how do I, tweak it and and just, like, move it slightly to make it that one, again, that, that volume, yeah, yeah. get half a percent better and more efficient, less
1: wastage and things like that. And it was like, wow, okay. And it's take, um, taking all those principles and applying it to software in this instance, but yeah, yeah, as you exactly. say, all the other departments and functions as well.
0: <laughs> it's, it's really no different fundamentally. Yeah. You know, they're, they're building a product at the end of the day. The bottle top is a product. yeah, yeah. I've, I've even, I've had customers before that, they're, they're a business in their own right but their one customer is mcdonald's because mm-hmm. they make mcdonald's cardboard boxes right, okay. globally mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> yeah there we go. i mean again the, the main department i'm interested in is finance because we that's kind of who i'm speaking to most of the time mm-hmm. i'm putting finance automation pieces in there and you're right the ultimate outcome especially for the accounts payable team is i need to pay this bill and yeah. it's like it comes in here how does it go through the business, go around the business, and then ultimately get approved to
1: pay? And then it's... It's That's a good point. Have you, have you done much work with finance departments?
0: Procurement, definitely. Okay. So look, I'd, I'd start yeah, to do some... Purchase to pay type stuff, yeah. yeah. Well, so the other thing as well is that one of the reasons I targeted procurement back when I was in aviation was if you're in an agile team and you need a license for something mm. and they don't work in the same methodology as you, they're instantly a blocker. Yeah. Because they worked to their own... Time scale, whereas if you get them working in, in in a way where they can visualize their work on a kanban board, you know just simple stuff, talk about what's urgent on a daily stand up mm. review what's happened every couple of weeks for perspective, yeah okay, you know they can adapt their processes to help enable the teams that rely on them because at the end of the day, you know with most things that need a license or a purchase. You can't carry on until that purchase has happened. It's a hard block. Mm. Um, finance is another great example uh, as well. And some of the things that I I looked to to talk about with finance was along the similar lines like paying invoices, um, making sure cash flows optimum. You know mm. those are very important sort of business. Obviously, the other side of it that we're kind of seeing now is tax. Like making tax digitals now a thing, mm-hmm. yeah. and that's something that's taken off. You can't submit paper um, records anymore, mm. depending on your business size. Yeah. You have to use something like a QuickBooks or a Zero. Yeah. So you put all that effort in up front to make that system right, and it, when it comes to filing time, you go, that's a File. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Makes
1: Done. Yeah, that's yeah. a great point. I guess with invoices, it's the same principles of, um, you know, get your purchase order data right up front, get yeah. your, your supplier data right, and then things will match more and things will go straight through. And it's yeah. looking at the process end to end. How can we improve it? How can we take waste out? I'm going to yeah. have to wrap it up because I could sit here and speak to you all day. Mm-hmm. But um, I've got time for one one last question. I just want to understand what your view of the future of work is. Yeah. So Tomorrow's Workplace Today is the name
0: of the podcast. What does work look like in 10 years' time? So, So I think... I think that, you know, that what we have started with the pandemic is is the start of the next workplace revolution. Um, as I was coming in this morning, I thought, oh, let me just look for a good example of this. Two jobs on LinkedIn posted at the, on the same day. One says remote, one says on site. Same job, different mm-hmm. organisations, same city. One, the one that was remote had over 900 applicants, according to LinkedIn. The one that was on site had 12. Wow. Wow. That's nice. a great example. Yeah. Yeah. And user, they were both posted four well. weeks ago. Yeah. So, you know, there's a kind of an instant example that backs up that people don't want to be in an office all the time anymore. Hmm. They want that level of flexibility because I think a lot of people that worked in those parts of industry that realized or that, that didn't work from home, finance was a big one of those. Um, hmm that when they actually realise that, oh, you know what, we don't need to be in an office to do this. We can work at home. You know, the work-life balance you you get is phenomenal. And I think people have now realised that. But I think the other side of it is AI. I, I think AI is going to have a big play. Artificial intelligence is going to have a big play into the way the working world changes in the future. And there's still a lot of questions, as, as I understand it, around... You know, what people's view is as to whether it will take jobs or create jobs. I think it will create jobs in the short term, Mm -hmm. but I think it's your more white-collar jobs that are probably in danger. So, like, lawyers, uh, you know, those kinds of roles, firearms especially. Um, I think manufacturing's already had that. We Mm -hmm. already use robots and AI in manufacturing. So anyone that says... AI is going to have a massive impact in manufacturing. That that happened 10 years ago. Mm. Right. Then the the office revolution to come is white collar roles, I think. And and I think those are some of the biggest places, biggest things that are gonna change. Um I think the next thing as well is working from anywhere.
2: Yes. Yeah, no digital nomads just being yeah. any country,
1: anytime it's on too. the beach in Florida, yeah, and yeah. logging in and...
0: and again I saw I'm, I'm sure they work for Deloitte, actually. I'm not 100% sure, but I'm sure. Bali, Bali's offering you a, a, like a no-text for five years. I'm the Bali. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen countries do that as well. I'm sure, I, I don't know it was someone I knew would commented or liked the article mm-hmm. or something that she posted on LinkedIn, but she said, instead of taking a holiday, I'd gone to Spain for two weeks because yeah. Deloitte let you do 20 days a year working from anywhere in the world. Wow, that's, that's, high. that's nice. Okay. I like that. Great. <laughs> I'm okay. going to suggest that at the next
2: board meeting. I think, yeah, at least sort of talked about that. It's, it's uh, yeah,
1: let's see work in practice. On, on that note, I'm going to leave it there. Thank you very much for for joining us today, Mark. Yeah, no, um, thanks for having me. You've been really insightful. Welcome. Cool. Thanks. Thank you.